This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa podcast. Aren't we all Republicans here? That's the sort of question we've come to expect from Rudy Giuliani when he's twisting arms for Trump. And Rudy really went to town during the aftermath of Trump's decisive loss in 2020. Apparently, some Republicans, like Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers, didn't care if they were all Republicans or not. He answers to God, and not to Trump, and certainly not to Rudy. Bowers said without the proof, there was no way he would even entertain what Trump wanted, which was to call a special session and have the legislature change the electors from Biden to Trump. And it is a tenet of my faith that the Constitution is divinely inspired of my most basic foundational beliefs. And so for me to do that because somebody just asked me to is foreign to my very being. I I, I will not do it. When Bauer said no, he became the target of protesters. He told the committee crowds would gather outside his home, accusing him of being a pedophile. It is painful to have friends who have been such a help to me, turn on me with such rancor. Bowers wrote in his diary, it is painful to have friends turn on me with such rancor, but I do not want to be a winner by cheating. I will not play with laws I swore allegiance to. So they tore his life up. Same goes for Brad Raffensperger, Georgia's Secretary of State and Georgia's election overseer, Gabriel Sterling, when they refused to go along with Trump's illegal and frankly absurd plans to overturn the election. President Trump's pressure campaign against state officials existed in all the key battleground states that he lost. But the former president had a particular obsession with Georgia. Here is the president on the afternoon of January 6th, after his own attorney general warned him that the claims you are about to hear are patently false. He should find those votes. They should absolutely find that. Just over 11,000 votes, that's all we need. They defrauded us out of a win in Georgia, and we're not going to forget it. Representative Adam Schiff who directed Tuesday's hearing, noted that former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows reached out 18 times to set up a phone call between Raffensperger and then-President Trump. Then, once he had him on the phone, the call lasted a long 67 minutes, with Trump repeatedly pushing Raffensperger to find 11,780 votes. Trump told Raffensperger that it was very dangerous for him to say there was no fraud, a suggestion Raffensperger rightly interpreted as a threat. Why wouldn't you want to find the right answer, Brad, Trump demanded? Let's begin with the president raising the thoroughly debunked allegations of suitcases of ballots. In an official uh, voter box, they were in what looked to be uh, uh, suitcases or trunks, uh, suitcases, but they weren't in uh, in voter boxes. Uh, the minimum number it could be, because we watched it and they they watched it for certified uh, in slow motion, instant replay, if you can believe it. But they had slow motion and it was magnified many times over. 
and the minimum it was was 18,000 ballots, all for Biden. Sterling walked us through the suitcases of misplaced ballot bullshit again, but his testimony was all about his anger at the disinformation coming from the Trump campaign and Trump himself. He asked Trump directly on camera to stop inciting violence. Mr. President, it looks like you likely lost the state of Georgia. We're investigating. There's always a possibility. I get it. And you have the rights to go through the courts. What you don't have the ability to do, and you need to step up and say this, is stop inspiring people to commit potential acts of violence. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get shot. Someone's going to get killed. And rather than backing off, Trump escalated his pressure on Georgia, alleging massive voter fraud there. And just like Rusty Bowers, Raffensperger and Sterling were harassed and threatened with violence. Homes broken into, computers hacked, children stalked by strangers. I mean, seriously, who would do such a thing? Not Americans. No, not Americans. Republicans. Republicans who, in service to their king, and excuse me, I mean president, became a dangerous and truly deplorable gang. Republicans that have made themselves over in the image of Donald Trump. But here you saw the actual effect on human lives of the despicable personal qualities of Trump and his minions, his, you know, before things have been analogized to a criminal syndicate, this was an actual criminal syndicate with mobs and thugs ready to enforce his will. So all in all, the way it affects the country, the sort of good, bad, and ugly of people standing up and calmly telling the truth, and for that, facing the wrath of Trump and untold thousands of frenzied supporters. What the January 6th commission made crystal clear on Tuesday was this. Republican or not, if you disagree with the machine installed to keep Trump in power, they will chew you up and spit you out. Just ask the election workers, Shea Moss and her mother, Lady Ruby Freeman, whom Trump called out by name. I felt like it was all my fault. Like, if I would have never decided to be an elections worker, like, I could have done anything else, but that's what I decided to do, and now, People are lying and spreading rumors and lies and attacking my mom, my only child. Uh, We are reminded that violence has been used in this country before to enforce who gets to participate in our democracy. So just as you are asking, what's the price of democracy? Historically, we know it's been violence. Lady Ruby and her daughter um, have paid a price. This ordeal and the big lie have cost them their roles, their standing in the community, their good names. (laughs) Their, their freedom to move through their town without fear. What does this country owe people like that? I mean, this happened on our watch and they deserve more than our thanks and our hugs. They deserve accountability. And if this installment of the January 6th hearings felt personal, it's because it was personal. And trust me, it's scary. I've been there. And to recap, this was the stupid scheme. Get the vote count in the swing states all mucked up and confused with false claims of election fraud, and then recounts, lawsuits, slates of fake electors, and then add John Eastman's ploy that would give the vice president, Mike Pence, an excuse to stop the certification on the basis of all the confusion. And then send the votes back to the states where Republicans were supposed to recertify the votes for Trump. If Pence wouldn't stop the certification, well, the mob would. 
And who can work when an Oath Keeper has his feet up on your desk? The questions here are serious. They may require answers under oath. Who did provide the documents? Why did Senator Johnson want to then provide knowingly fraudulent materials to then-Vice President Pence? Did the senator intend for them to change that day's proceeding in some manner or override lawful votes from states, including his state? Those are potential crimes. Somewhere in this mix, we find bumbling. Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, or someone from Johnson's camp, who was just dying to get Pence the list of fake electors from Michigan and Wisconsin before the shit hit the fan. And according to the testimony of Ronna McDaniel, the head of the Republican National Committee, the RNC helped the Trump campaign collect the false electoral slates. What did the president say when he called you? Essentially, he turned the call over to Mr. Eastman, who then proceeded to talk about the importance of the RNC helping the campaign gather these contingent electors in case any of the legal challenges um, that were ongoing changed the result of any of the dates. I think more just helping them reach out and assemble them. But the my understanding is the campaign did take the lead and we just were helping them in that in that role. Perhaps a redundant question, but how the hell is Ronna McDaniel still the head of the RNC? Trump tweeted, or whatever it is you do on Truth Social, the highly partisan unselects are trying to create a fake narrative for whatever reason, but only with evil intention. That he, meaning me, knew he lost the election. This is completely false. I felt the election was rigged and stolen, with stolen misspelled with two L's. Why? Because he's a fucking moron. Trump has turned this title Republican into something dirty and coercive. Synonymous with thug, liar, racist, crackpot, and with the exception of the few whose faith in a personal integrity just wouldn't let them stoop to Trump's low, the GOP has lost its credibility as a democratic institution. Instead, they fully embraced an alternative MAGA reality where Trump is God and authoritarianism is a zero-sum game. The rest of us here on planet Earth need to make sure that Trump is held accountable, prosecuted, and God willing, jailed. Biden has had a very, you know, he's had a, he's, he's actually had a couple of very enormously important accomplishments that that got undersold and got forgotten about. And, and I mean this in, in with the sense of tough love to my Democratic colleagues. They're terrible at politics. They are the worst thing. They, they are so bad at elections. There's no there's a reason why Republicans beat them consistently, because Republicans grow up in a campaign culture that prizes victory over everything else. That may be amoral, that may be difficult, that may be problematic, but it's true. And the Democrats have this idea that policy will win elections, et cetera. And, and I don't know that they're, that, they, that, they're, that they're mentally prepared to run the kind of races they have to run in 2022 um, to hold the House and to hold the Senate. And the margins are so narrow in both bodies that it is going to be an extremely difficult thing if they don't understand they're fighting against people you know, the Democrats are playing chess and the Republicans are eating the pieces. Tuesday's primary results were not surprising. In Alabama, the Trump-endorsed young Christian mom, Katie Britt, beat out the formerly Trump-endorsed insurrectionist, Mo Brooks, by a giant margin of 40,000-plus votes. 
Talk about your cancel culture. Nobody does it like Trump. But in Georgia, GOP voters rejected two more candidates endorsed by Trump in congressional primary runoffs. Right-wing extremist and retired Marine Rich McCormick defeated Trump-backed attorney Jake Evans. And businessman Mike Collins defeated Trump-endorsed Vernon Jones, a former Democrat-turned-Republican. Bully for Georgia! Interesting race in Virginia, though. Republicans chose NRA-backed Senator Jen Kiggins to take on Democrat Elaine Luria in the Virginia Beach-based 2nd District, setting the matchup for what's expected to be one of the nation's most competitive house races to watch in November. Over the weekend, thousands of Texas Republicans declared such hateful anti-gay, anti-women's rights, anti-children's safety, and big light backing official declarations that they have somehow managed to move even further to the alt-right and out-maga themselves. And just last weekend in Texas, Republicans met for a state party convention that resembled the WWE event without the physical wrestling, just a whole lot of foul language and a renewed dedication to an all-Trump, all-the-time agenda. John Cornyn was booed by just about everyone in attendance. No gun control, they chanted over and over again, because Cornyn dared to take on a leadership role in creating a safe gun bill. Which was the right thing to do, considering the school shooting in Uvalde and the incredible amount of blame game bullshit going on there. Yeah, you know, this story just keeps getting worse and worse. Every single time we learn something, it gets worse and worse. We already knew that they waited far too long to confront the shooter. But now we found out that they lied about not having enough weapons to go in. Because it turns out they had assault rifles, they had body armor, and ballistic shields. So I'm sorry, what what else were they waiting for? The invincible star from Mario? What was that, huh? Get the out in the room. Like, how did they not go in? You know, which is, by the way, another thing that we've learned. They didn't even try to get in the classroom. They didn't even try. They told everyone that they had to wait for a key because the door was locked, but the door wasn't locked. They just never tried to open it, which, which is ridiculous. Even people waiting outside like a locked bathroom at Starbucks will jiggle the handle <laughs> after two minutes just to be sure, sure, they'll try. But it turns out these cops couldn't do what? Like what, what the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park took five minutes to learn? They couldn't do that? Just that? But doing the right thing just isn't a priority for Texas Republicans these days. Using one of Tucker Carlson's favorite slurs, the crowd harassed Republican Representative Dan Crenshaw, calling him Patch McCain. I mean, in fact, is he lost an eye during military service in Afghanistan. But because he didn't go along with the big lie and supported aid to Ukraine, Crenshaw is now considered an enemy of the GOP base. I passed McCain. Hey, I passed McCain. Look at I passed McCain right here. You're a rhino. You're a globalist. You're a globalist rhino. According to the Texas Tribune, Trump has radicalized the base to such a degree that there isn't any limit to the insane things they're prepared to ask for. And a few of the insane things the Texas GOP decreed during their convention include Biden was not legitimately elected, homosexuality is an abnormal lifestyle choice, and students need to learn about the humanity of the preborn child. (laughs) And lastly, that there should be no guns ever. To me, it's a complete signal 
of this has nothing anymore to do with Donald Trump. The, the, the crazy has been let loose. This is who the Republican Party is fundamentally, is fundamentally, there are a few exceptions, as we've talked about numerous times, they are the unicorns in the Republican Party. But Texas is showing, if you don't hold January 6th accountable, and we don't hold the Republicans accountable in the fall, Texas is showing this is what they want America to look like. All this Texas GOP convention fun took place after Cornyn pulled the plug on the safe gun bill negotiations last week. But when Cornyn returned early this week and got back to the table, the Senate committee surprised us all. 10 Democrats and 10 Republicans finally advanced a bipartisan gun violence bill being called the Safer Communities Act late Tuesday. The bill will toughen some federal gun laws and provide roughly $15 billion to help prevent future mass shootings. The legislation is on course to be passed later this month and features mental health programs, school security upgrades, and after much debate, a boyfriend loophole was included to protect victims of domestic abuse. The NRA opposes the bill and Mitch McConnell backs it, but the bill easily passed a test vote that took place a few hours after it was finalized. This is a breakthrough, and more importantly, it is a bipartisan breakthrough, said Senator Murphy late Tuesday. This bill will be too little for many, it'll be too much for others, but this bill is going to save thousands of lives. It's going to be something that every single member of the Senate who votes for it can be proud of. And we may be on a roll, folks. The Washington Post is reporting that liberal groups nationwide are now devoting people, power, and millions of dollars to blocking GOP election deniers at the ballot box. The strategy has diverted some of the focus away from big federal races and toward governor and secretary of state races. Actions are being taken in response to Republicans' stated aim of running elections from inside election boards, otherwise known as Steve Bannon's devious precinct strategy. Also going into effect are measures to protect ballot access and tabulation, particularly in swing states. As the Wisconsin DNC chair Ben Wilker put it, the threat of a Republican who in 2024 attempts to complete what failed in 2020 has been an enormous motivator of volunteers for donors large and small and for people who want to fight for democracy, almost regardless of their politics. Can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interests. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July and you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. Must say, it's good to see liberals stepping up and using the electoral process to defend our democracy. It's about time that we put up a fight. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to our show Reed Galen, co-founder of the Lincoln Project and an independent political strategist. A veteran public affairs and political analyst with more than 20 years experience, Reed has been involved in politics, government, and business at the highest levels. 
Galen has spent more than a decade advising Fortune 500, 100, and 1,000 companies in need of high-level counsel in the fields of strategic communications, procurement, and legislation. In addition to his private sector work, Reed has managed several high-profile ballot measure campaigns in California, in Texas, and Colorado before moving to the private sector. Reed served as deputy campaign manager for John McCain's presidential campaign and deputy campaign manager for Arnold Schwarzenegger's successful 2006 re-election campaign. Galen also worked on both of the President George W. Bush campaigns and served the Bush administration at both the United States Department of the Treasury and the Department of Homeland Security. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Reed, in your great essay, 30 Pieces of Silver, that's currently up on Lincoln Project website, you lay out the money piece of Trump's inner circle and how even if people stepped away, they still hung in there with Trump for the cash. If you do me the favor, break down your theory for our listeners and why you think that if they get back in, that they'll start the grift all over again. Well, I'd say this, Michael, is I don't think the grift ever stopped. I think it continues to this day. You saw um, uh, the campaign manager, Bill Stepien, said, you know, I told I told the president that he was going to lose. He didn't like that. So at that point, I decided to step away. But he didn't quit, as you know, Michael, uh, better than anyone. Right. They just disappear into the shadows, a sort of out of sight, out of mind thing. Um, you know, I think as as recently as the last quarter, based on FEC filings, Bill Stepien's firm is still being paid by the Save America PAC. Uh, Jared and Ivanka, you know, maybe not directly, uh, you know, benefiting from all the money they're still raising. Um, but they're they're benefiting somehow. And so, you know, whoa, if there's whoa, whoa, one thing. Hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not to stop you, because I'm loving where you're going with this. You're not aware of how Kushner, meaning Ivanka Kushner, or they call them Javanka, <laughs> Javanka. is profiting, is profiting off of the former administration when Jared gets two plus billion dollars from the Saudi government in order to open up a fund which he has no knowledge, no capabilities, right. completely incompetent? Well, I was talking more about the political money in particular, but you're absolutely right. And I guess you're right. We should just, it's all one big, it's all one big washing machine of cash. So you're absolutely right. We should just see it that way, which is, it's all about the money, um, you know, and it's all about the, and, and it will continue to be about the money. You know, the, the Save America PAC is raising millions of dollars a month. Um, my guess is, is that we'll see that it is probably raising an inordinate amount of money right now. As as you know, I get probably ten emails a day, Michael, from you know the Save America Pack talking about how you know the you and the, me both the committee's out to get him, um, and so you know this this will always be the way it was, and and um, or the way it is, I should say, because yeah, this is the only thing these folks have going for them is that they don't believe in the guy, right? It's an impossible thing to do. So why do you hang on? Because the money's too good to quit. Yeah, and my favorite line that you had in that article that you wrote was when you called it the Grift Olympians, because they are. But I don't think we, <laughs> I don't, as much as I loved your article, I would ask you to do me the favor and to continue with it. Because while it is incredibly strong, and I certainly recommend everyone to go to the, to the Lincoln Project website and to read it, 30 Pieces of Silver. There's so many people that you have not included into this, right? So, I mean, how about Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani? And by the way, 
I think I was the first one who came out and turned around and said that the most dangerous place, I said it, it was either Ari Melber or Joy Reid, or it could have actually been Alison Camrata on CNN. When I turned around and I said, the most dangerous place to be is between a free bottle of Chardonnay or Scotch and Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> Because he's drunk all the time. And I experienced it. I witnessed it. But Rudy, as you know, had a company. And the company was doing um, services for various different, you know, um, multinational companies and so on. He was running around basically trading off of his relationship with Donald Trump, which, by the way, is really a non-existent relationship. Yeah, they stand there. They both smile. They're both actors and they're both fucking phonies. Right. right. But Rudy, under Giuliani Partners, made a fortune until it stopped. And that's why he got so heavy into Trump. So he's another one I would love to see included in your in your article. And yes, Stepien is another one. Um, but the one that really and I just brought it up to you that really sort of gets me is the fact that the Saudi Arabian government turned around and said that we don't think, I should say the Saudi Investment Authority, we don't think that giving two plus billion dollars to Kushner falls within our, um, you know, our principles. And on top of that, he's just not qualified in order to do it. Now, let's remember Kushner here in New York is responsible for the worst real estate deal in history and ran around, as did his father, ran around to to people who are exceptionally, Middle Eastern guys who are exceptionally, exceptionally wealthy, wanting them to refinance out 666 Fifth Avenue, the the worst deal possible. And somehow or another, they managed to get that piece of shit building that, as they call it here, right, a just um, a fucking whale, you know, of a piece of shit. They managed to get that building refinanced and they pulled out several hundred millions of dollars instead of losing the property. And that could have put the company into bankruptcy in and of its own. So you got to really start to look. So not only did Jared, by joining as a senior advisor, end up bringing in two plus billion dollars on like a, you know, a, uh, a two and 20 or, a, a, a you know, a, a 10 and 20. I don't know whatever his deal is with them. He manages to get Mohammed bin Salman to tell them, I don't care what you think. I want it done. And nobody's going to cross MBS, especially not in Saudi Arabia. So you have that, right? So you have that going. Then on top of that, he gets his father the pardon. You know, it's all in all. It was a pretty good four years for Kushner, wouldn't you say? Uh, I would say that, too. I mean, I'm, I'm interested, too, you know, that we were talking about this a little bit earlier this morning, that the new Saudi Golf League, you know, is doing is doing an event at Bedminster and it's doing its championship. It's American championship. I think it, it trumped Doral, Right. So, like, it never ends. Um, well, you know, it, it's don't, forget, a, it's, don't forget, they lost the Cadillac Classic because of his stupidity and his anti-Mexican rhetoric, especially right after that, when Univision <laughs> pulled all of their functions and then Cadillac said, look, we can't be involved in your racist rhetoric. And they pulled it from the clubs. And so, of course, what do you think Jared did? Well, let's just then host him over at Doral. Let's host it, you know, over at Bedminster. Let's host it at any one of the various Trump properties. I mean, it's, again, it's all part of, as you said, the Grift Olympians. Yeah, and, and you know, look, the, so now the Kushners are in a, on it. Stepien's on it. Rudy's in on it. You know, some of the 
the one-time greatest golfers in the world, they're all in on it. They're all for sale, right? And they're all going to stand up with these people and they're going to they're going to say I don't care and they'll they'll look themselves in the mirror and say the money was worth it, but they'll have to live with that. And so uh I think that the other part too is is these people, you know, they they said they stepped away, Michael, um in the in the immediate aftermath of of the of the election in 2020. But none of them, as I said, either quit because they're still getting paid or, you know, stood on top of a mountain and said, this is, a, you know, he's he's crazy. He's lying. We told him he lost. Right. If they had done that on November 4th. Right. Maybe we wouldn't be where we are today. But they did. They sat quietly. Every one of them sat quietly and let this stuff roll out. And as team normal, which, as you know, Michael, is normal only in the context of Trump's world, not in the regular world or the real world. Um, you know, as they stepped into the shadows, then the crazies like the Kraken lady and Eastman and all these other people and Rudy, you know, at the head of it, fill the void and give Trump, as you know, exactly what he wants is somebody who's willing to tell him he's right. Yeah. And look, you know, you may say, oh, they have to live with themselves. Sure, they do. At a two and 20 on two billion dollars, it's 40 million a year going into Kushner's pocket for turning on the lights. All right. right. In his office. All right. And I think a lot of people would turn around and say, yeah, I could understand that. But do we then not look at Steve Bannon with his bullshit wall fund that, you know, now they're investigating what happened to that money or the two hundred and fifty million dollars that went into the Trump election defense fund, which you briefly cover in your article? Mm -hmm. Seriously, where is that two hundred and fifty million? Because rest assured. Donald Trump didn't pay a single penny to anyone. It's one of the things Rudy was freaking out. He was supposed to get paid $200,000 a day. Mm. Could you imagine something crazy number like that? I mean, Rudy was already out there doubling up on security and thinking about what his next acquisition was going to be. Maybe Abramovich's seized boat. Who the fuck knows with this lunatic, this drunken right. jerk off? I mean, this is one big giant grift of the most significant magnitude that places the United States democracy in jeopardy because we're, you know, we're kissing the ass of dictators and monarchs and, you know, um, autocrats and so on. I mean, this is just crazy shit. Yeah, well, just remember, just just to even go further back, Michael, to September, October of 2020, to be a sitting United States president whose reelection campaign somewhere between 45 and 60 days out uh, from the campaign is functionally bankrupt. Like where the, where did all the money go? Right. You spent a you raised a billion dollars. Where the hell did all the money go? <laughs> right. Like, I mean, yeah, sure. It went to some television ads and it went to a bunch of digital ads. But the truth was, is that there were those two LLCs that I think Jared was on the board of or, or somebody's brother in law was on the board of, you know, that sucked in like two or three hundred million bucks a piece. Right. And, and so, you know, it, it all goes down to like, well, maybe he's going to lose, but we're going to get ours. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, it's all it's it, but I guess maybe that's if you're willing to spend as much time around the guy as he sits in the Oval Office, then by definition, you probably change to or you, your your belief system, you know, has to comport to his worldview. Otherwise, you couldn't do it. No, you can't. It's, you cannot disagree with him. What you could do is make certain recommendations. And if, in fact, it's and it's rare that he will change a position and then declare it his own. But short of that, it's whatever he says Everybody then tries to figure out how to work themselves uh, into his very significantly warped, um, you know, perception. I did want to ask you, though, from a religious standpoint, mm. 
The concept of um, 30 pieces of silver is out of the, the New Testament. I mean, was there any correlation between that? I think it's what, Matthew 26, 14 through 16, that has to do with Judas, right, turning in Jesus for 30 pieces of um, silver. Was there any correlation between your article? Does it have anything to maybe do with somebody turning in? And that, that I, no way am I trying to, you know, to describe <laughs> Donald Trump as, as, what do you call it, as Jesus. And those of us that have turned on him to be the Judas, I think it's the other way around. But right. I was just curious because it's a, um, obviously it's a biblical reference. Right. Well, I was actually doing a po- uh, our podcast with one of our senior advisors, and, and he he used the phrase, and so I, I frankly cribbed it from him. But then the the, the broader point was um, that these people are Judas, and and you know the American democracy is who they turn their back on for the money. You know, I see. To, so the to, so I see. So the Judases are those that are. Uh, it's it's not the folks that are close to Trump where Trump being, of course, would be the almighty, right? And then everybody else turning on him. It's sort of, uh, they're Judas to the American way, to democracy, to our constitution and our way of life. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's a great article. And again, I recommend it to every one of my listeners to read it. But there are so many more individuals that are in on this grift. I mean, look, let let me, before I go on to my next question, Stephanie Winston Wolkoff talked about at length it's like $107 million going back to the presidential inaugural committee, right? What happened to that money? Do you know to this day, there's never been an answer to that? And this is something that frustrates me terribly. We never get to the answers of things that we're trying to find out from two years ago. So how are we going to find everyone's looking now to these, you know, to these hearings as being the impetus to finally hold this man accountable for his illegal actions, for his dirty deeds? I should say alleged illegal actions. But at the end of the day, we have not held him accountable for any of his earlier actions going back now five years. And this is a real problem because it it kind of goes against the adage that the Democrats constantly, you know, were proclaiming that no one is above the law. And I turn around and I say, somewhere along the line, you got to say, maybe that adage isn't true. Maybe we need to make it true, but it's not true. Trump seems to be getting away with everything. It's not. Well, he's he's at the top, but it's all of them. I mean, up until this moment, you know, with the exception of the of the people who actually stormed the Capitol building on January 6th, no one's been held to account. No one's been, no one's faced sanction politically, legally, financially, socially, right? No, only, um, only us like me, only us like, like me. And I put myself into the same category as these moron, these peons that charged the Capitol. What did I do? What did I do? I paid Stormy Daniels at his request for his benefit, 130000 to another lawyer to Keith Davidson's IOLTA account in Beverly Hills, California. I'm not making deals with Saudis or the Iranians or the Russians or anybody. I sent it to a Beverly Hills attorney's office for an NDA. That's what I, that's what I did. And the rest of it was all bullshit. Tax evasion, it's a lie. The HELOC violation, it's a lie. And yet, did I lie to Congress? Sure. About the number of times I spoke to Trump about a failed real estate project in Moscow. And I did it because he requested it. Not just he, but Ivanka, Jared, a whole group of them. So it's, it's crazy. It's the peons 
It's the peons that get fucked, which is part of what my next book, which is part of what my next book, The Department of Injustice, is all about. It really shows that power, that power is, changes the law. Those who are in power have a very different law than those of us who don't. And I really, I take a full dissection. And obviously, once that comes out, love to have, you know, you back on the show to talk about it. But talking about illegal actions, right? So it seems like Trump tried to have Mike Pence killed, right? Or at least wasn't against the thugs killing him. Now, Pence is looking tougher than I think a lot of people who would have assumed. And if he hadn't, you know, certified the elections, who knows where we would be right now? I mean, do I hate to say it, but do you think that Pence saved the republic? You know, it's it's a great question because I've seen so much and, you know, we spend probably too much time on social media with all these folks opining and I'm probably one of them. Um, you know, Pence is no hero. Look at all the things he did. Look what he stands for. Um, and all of that is true. Right. I mean, he was never my, you know, my flavor. Uh, even, you know, when I was still a Republican, he was far too conservative for my taste. And yet he spent four years, uh, you know, kowtowing before the president uh, and, you know, doing everything he could to be a supplicant. Um, but I, I think, you know, in the fight for democracy, which is, I think, where we are right now, when the time came, Michael, he made the decision he needed to make. Um, and and he stood up to the president, which, you know, we, we saw that the footage of the hearing yesterday where he was talking about, you know, where you know, Ivanka was, you know, like, oh, my gosh, you know, you know, Trump's calling him a wimp and calling him the P word and everything else. Um, and and Pence just said, OK, I got to I got to steal myself for this. And he did it. Right. And, you know, he's standing in a loading dock watching the president of the United States, you know, as as they can hear the the rioters, you know, put out a statement saying, like, you know, Pence didn't do what, he, what, what we needed him to do. Like, what did what did what went through Mike Pence's mind when that happened? He wouldn't get in the car with his own agents. Right. And so I think that, you know, he said, I'm not going to leave the Capitol. I'm going to finish this job. And so, yes, there is plenty to dislike about Mike Pence. Um, do I consider him a hero? I don't know if I consider him a hero, but I think in that moment he was heroic. Uh, and yeah, I think that he probably did save the republic because had he fled, um, you know, then, uh, you know, Trump would have found a reason to do something else. Like they're after my guy, right? He would have turned him from an enemy into a victim, right? He would have called on Antifa. He would have called martial law, whatever it was. And so I think in that moment he did what was necessary. Yeah, I mean, dear, my favorite is when you start hearing some of these Republicans, especially these moronic ones like Ted Cruz and Boebert and Hawley and Marjorie Taylor Greene and so on, and they start screaming that the insurrectionists were not even there for Trump. It was Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. Now, it's funny because I didn't see a, I didn't see really a black face there. But somehow or another, these Republicans, and they keep saying it over and over and over again, that this is all Antifa and Black Lives Matter. It was one of the most, must be a subdivision of Black Lives Matter because I didn't see anything there other than Trump 2024 or Trump 2020 flags with MAGA hats galore and so on, all screaming, right? Hang Mike Pence. Let's go kill Nancy Pelosi. And now you start this informant, this proud boy informant that has basically told the committee that had they gotten their hands on Mike Pence, had they gotten their hands on Nancy Pelosi or really any Democrat for that matter, 
that they would have taken their lives. I mean, it's hard to imagine that this is really happening here in the United States of America. The two things that, that the country had going it for it on, on January 6th were bravery of, of a couple of people and luck. Um, you know, Officer Eugene Goodman had the presence of mind to distract a crowd, to lead them away from the Mitt Romneys, right, yep. of the world, who we see running down the hallway as Officer Goodman says, you got to get out of here. Um, we heard yesterday, and Michael, I had not heard this before, that the mob was 40 feet from Mike Pence. You know, I mean, I was an advanced man at the White House for George W. Bush. I spent a lot of time around motorcades and Secret Service. Those guys are half as close, like the agents start shooting. Right. And and it's a it's a bloodbath in that hallway. And who knows who gets out of it. And so, you know, the idea that, you know, they were they were one literally one step ahead of the mob. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's Providence, luck, whatever you want to call it. But uh, you're, you're right. If they had gotten a hold of those people, they would have killed them. And I don't think they would have stopped the Democrats. I think that there were plenty, you know, mob rule, I think, had taken over. And I who knows who would have gotten it. Yeah. It's a, well, I tell you one person that decided that he didn't want to be part of that crowd, of course, was Donald Trump, who went running right back to the White House and all of the excuses that you hear. Oh, the Secret Service wouldn't allow him. No, this one. He wanted to go watch it on television while chowing down on, you know, fucking ice cream and maybe some Marilardo burgers and shit like that. But, you know, he wanted to do it from the safety because he's really um, he's he's a wimp. And, you know, yeah. that's why that's why he was so proud to see these people in paramilitary gear storming the Capitol, carrying his flag. I mean, if this isn't straight up out of The Handmaid's Tale, um, oh, I know. you know, with a with an ugly twist off of um, the the one with Kevin Spacey, uh, that that show, um, mm -hmm. House of oh, Cards. Yeah, House of Cards, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I really don't know what is. But let me ask you this, since we're talking about the January 6th hearings. You think there'll ever be any, any indictments? Um, I mean, is the DOJ just gearing up for a whole series of cases, maybe letting the January 6th committee tee up the evidence so that, you know, arrests and criminal proceedings are so shocking to the public? Or am I just dreaming? Kind of like what happened with the Mueller team, right? And if there aren't any indictments, then seriously, don't we all have the right to just say, what the fuck? What else do you uh, need to do to hold people accountable? Well, if if there are no indictments, yes, you have every right to say WTF. Um, I think that um, that Merrick Garland, the AG, saying this week, I am watching these things. The Department of Justice is watching these things. The fact that they made a request in writing to the committee for a whole bunch of things that hadn't been sent over yet, I think, is a relatively good sign. As you know, having you know, being a New Yorker. Um, I wonder if they're going to do sort of a classic mob style roll up, right? They're going to start at the bottom with these, you know, otherwise, you know, they're, you know, they're stupid and they're guilty because of the things they did. Um, but none of them want to go to federal prison. Um, you know, look, I know some of these people, right? Like the company that got 5 million bucks, you know, in that window between the election and January 6th, like I know those guys, those guys got kids. They don't want to go to prison, Right. Some of these people who are fundraisers or whatever, like they're they're political hacks, Michael. They're fundraisers. They're political mechanics. They don't want to go to prison, right? So they're all like, "What am I going to do now?" The FBI calls them, as you know, and the FBI is going to be like, "Look, here's what we got." So one of two things is going to happen: we're going to indict you, right? You're going to be bankrupt, and you're likely going to go to prison, or you're going to help us. What would you like to do? And they're all going to go Henry Hill, I think, right at the end. 
Um, and, and I think that will they indict Trump? I don't know. Um, I don't know, but I think that they will start to work their way up the chain. I think John Eastman's probably going to prison for the rest of his life. Um, you know, and I think there'll be some other, these proud boy guys too. I think that, you know, there was the, the, and I think the first or second hearing, there was that documentarian that has footage of, you know, the Enrico Terrio and the other guy with the, with the eye patch, you know, standing in a parking garage in DC, you know, uh, conspiring sure as hell looked like conspiracy to me. Um, and so, you know, I think that a lot of people are going to go, uh, you know, go down for this. And, and I hope that, you know, if the evidence does appear that Trump should be indicted, I think he should be indicted. I don't think that they're, you know, he's not in office anymore. I think he'll run again if, you know, not only because he like likes the money, likes to be in the center of attention, because I think he also believes that, you know, being a candidate for national office will preclude his indictment. But I don't necessarily believe that that's true. Yeah. And I think enough people have told him that that's not true. I, I stand on a little bit of a different um, theory than you. I don't believe that he runs again. Uh, mm -hmm. I believe that the next go around, he wants to just continue to be a kingmaker, to be able to stand off to the side and profit off of that relationship, allow Jared and others to profit off of that relationship. Um, his biggest fear, because as, and I've said this, you know, many, many times, uh, he is an incredibly fragile ego. Mm -hmm. And he knows that the numbers do not support a Trump victory. Um, so what's he going to do? Be a two-time loser? I don't think so. Plus, I don't think his health is anywhere near what is necessary in order to mount the type of campaign that he's going to need. So I think he's going to try to back somebody and I think he was probably hoping it was going to be somebody like a Ron DeSantis. But Ron DeSantis has already shown that he wants to distance himself because Trump is toxic. There's no other way to describe it. And look, there's so many folks. And that's why you're seeing people now like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jason Miller comes out and he's making statements. Even Bill Barr, right? They're all trying to make statements. Why? Because the last, say, 18 plus months since they've tried to reacclimate into polite society, people right. look at them and say, I can't have you at my home. You're a right. fucking racist, sexist, you know, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semite. So how can I possibly, you know, bring you into the fold? So now all of a sudden they're all trying to distance themselves. And I really personally, I hate it when I have these, um, most of them are probably fake accounts anyway, where they start to attack me. Well, you know, you created Donald Trump. No, that's not true. His mother and father right, right, create, created him. All right. right. Um, what did I do? Yeah, I supported him. But then 70 million Americans voted for him. So before you want to throw all the blame on me, yeah, I acknowledge that I was involved in the creation of the campaign, that I made certain, you know, bold statements on his behalf. But Anybody that's involved in any political campaign, this is what you do. And I never, and many people that have stepped away from him, never expected that he was going to become the worst version of himself once he took office, allowing people like Steve Miller, racist, Steve Bannon, fucking racist, to turn around and to get into his head. And I've said this also, and it's in my other book, Disloyal, the last person that has Donald Trump's ear owns the brain. That's right. just the way that's just the way it is. It's like if you hum a song, a, a tune, next thing 5 minutes later he's humming it cuz there's nothing in his head. So all he does is he takes what the last person said 
and he makes it into, into the reality. It's really, he's just, the, the notion that this guy could actually become president again, what does it really say about us? You know, more than what it says about Trump, I think it really says something very bad about the American people. If in fact that you're worried about pri the price of gas, you're worried about baby formula more than you're worried about democracy. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I get it. But I want to jump on to something that we were talking about, which is Jeannie Thomas, right? Mm -hmm. So Jeannie Thomas um, is in the sights of the January 6th committee because there's been a lot of bombshells that have been revealed. Uh, and a lot of Republicans and even Trump's kids now coming forward. Do you think that maybe the truth is getting through to anyone, you know, but folks like us? You think this is this is going to the people that I was just referring to, the people who would potentially vote for him in 2024? Uh, I think it is um, for a couple of reasons. One, um, there was a Politico morning consult poll out yesterday, before yesterday's hearing, that showed that 50% of Republicans, 67% of independents, and 84% of Democrats believe that the DOJ should aggressively prosecute anyone involved in January 6th. Anyone. That is a bad number for Republicans, and it's a very bad number for Donald Trump. You know, and the thing about him running, I, I, we may, I think we disagree on whether or not he'll run again, but I think your, your theory about who wants him back is right, which is, you know, there's been plenty of stories out there that says even the people that love him don't think he can get reelected again. I'm talking about like his, you know, his individual supporters, the masses, because he's so, they know he's so toxic. Um, I think that what you're seeing now, Michael, with, a, you know, these hundred plus candidates who ran on a 2020 was stolen you know, platform to get, uh, you know, nominated for their particular office have now gone silent, right? Because they're like, oh God, what am I going to do now? When's the last time you heard from Kevin McCarthy or Elise Stefanik, right? Like they're, they're in the bunker, right? Because they realize, oh man, like this isn't good. So you can have Jim Jordan out there talking about gas prices or whatever, but you're absolutely right. So I think it is breaking through. I mean, the fact that 20 million Americans watch this on the first night, I think is huge. The fact that Fox News, as much as it didn't want to show these hearings, got scared back into showing them because there was such attention paid to them. Like, you know why Foxes didn't show them? Because they know how bad it looks. And it, 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 and it, you know, as you know, having lived in that world, whether or not it's Donald Trump or Tucker Carlson, you have to keep your people within that reality distortion bubble, right? And as soon as they start to get out of it, right, the sort of the clouds break and the sun comes out and you're like, what have I been doing? Right. And we even saw that there was a CNN thing where like they, some some group, I think it was at Cornell or somebody did a study. They showed like, we're going to pay you to watch CNN for 30 days. And it wasn't an overwhelming number of people who sort of got their head right, but it was like 10 or 15 percent. Well, that's a lot. Right. In, in the context of an electoral perspective. Right. 10 to 15 percent of people who otherwise believed everything that came out of Tucker Carlson's mouth now don't believe it. Like that will have a, a, an effect on Election Day. And so I, I do think it matters, but I think it also matters that the Democrats keep after it. Um, if it was nothing but if they ran on nothing but the defense of democracy and the fact that like Republicans got no plan, right, they don't have a plan, um, that they want to raise your taxes, that they want to get rid of Social Security and Medicare, which Lindsey Graham just said, he just doubled down on it again the other day. Like, you don't. this doesn't need to be complicated, right? This doesn't have to have a lot of nuance. Just beat the hell out of them day in and day out. And, you know, you're more likely than you're going to you got an even money better women. Yeah. Can you imagine? So you're watching Fox News and you're watching, for example, Sean Hannity show. 
All right. A lot of people do. And then all of a sudden, the topic that he has to discuss is his text messages to Kaylee McEnany about, (laughs) you know, about having the president declared incompetent. Well, aren't you the same guy, Sean, that from the campaign on was providing him with inside information and, you know, and pumping up not just the campaign, but his presidency and everything that he did and trying to spin shit the same way McEnany did or, you know, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the way that they, you know, the way that they were doing it for Donald. How do you then as well, he doesn't call himself a journalist. He's just a talk show host. So then how do you then reconcile that the same way? How do you then as he went completely silent in my case when he was telling Matt Gates what to say to me when Matt Gates was, you know, roaming around the House Oversight Committee chamber um, because Trump was in Vietnam with Kim Jong-un. So he sent his lackey to go do it. And that's another one that bothers me a lot. I know Merrick Garland, and we talked about this a few minutes ago. Merrick Garland is, you know, wants to see all the documents, all the witness statements, all the testimony and the documents so that they could potentially bring an indictment. Someone want to explain to me why Matt Gates is not already behind bars? You understand that if it was you, Reed, you wouldn't just be, you wouldn't be at Otisville right? Or a, uh, a satellite camp. They'd have you at a supermax in Arizona, 200 feet under the ground. I mean, this is a guy that was, that was transporting minors right. for sex. You know, yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, this is crazy shit. And I don't understand how somebody like that gets to question a Supreme Court, you know, justice nominee, you know, nominee. I, I just don't get where we've fallen. I don't understand why we've fallen so deep into this dumpster fire simply because of Trumpism. And going back to my question, why don't Republicans want to rebuke this bullshit? Enough. It's enough. Well, I'll tell you why. I mean, we have a working theory and it's backed up by a little bit of research, but I think that the Republican Party is really in thirds now. Um, and, and let's use the, the, the Senate campaign in Pennsylvania that just got that just wrapped up a few weeks ago. Yeah. Dr. Oz squeaked through by 900 votes and only because of Donald Trump's endorsement. Right. Um, yeah. Dave McCormick, you know, who also gets 31 percent. Let's let's say I mean, he was doing the Bible verses and the Trumpism stuff, but he didn't really believe it. Right. He never believed it. He got he got 31 percent. And then you got Kathy Barnett who didn't run a campaign and didn't spend any money, who got 24%, right? And it was only, she might have won, but for the fact that A, Donald Trump endorsed Dr. Oz, and B, Fox News and all the super PACs went on, in on her to the tune of millions of dollars, right, in the last two weeks of that campaign. That's the ultra MAGA. So you got the Trump people, like that's Dr. Oz, right? That's Trump. And then you got the ultra MAGA, that's Kathy Barnett. That's like two thirds of the party. So how does it why does it work this way? Because that's what the party wants. That's what the that's what the voters who vote Republican in a primary. That's what they want. They believe in white replacement theory. Right. They believe in resentment. They believe that immigrants are coming to take their job. They believe in white Christian nationalism. They believe I want I can have all the guns I want and you can't tell me. Right. And, I, you know, we're going to elect somebody who gets to decide how you live your life because my my way of life you know, is, is coming to an end as I see it. And I don't want anything to do with that. And that's, you know, I just, I just finished this book here. I'll hold it up for you. How civil wars start by Barbara Walter, incredible book. And she said, people will put up with poverty. They'll put up with 
lack of, you know, enjoyment, lack of money, lack of this, but they won't put up with a lack of status or a loss of status. And I think that's what you're seeing is a lot of this is being driven not only by white working class, but I think by guys my age, right? In their mid forties who believe, you know what, like I used to be able, I used to be the cock of the walk. I used to be able to act however I wanted to. I could go in and smack a girl on the ass in the office and tell her how pretty she was and blah, 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 blah. And I can't do those things. Right. And, and how come, you know, I'm supposed to be the guys in charge. We're supposed to be in charge. And, and so I think that the, the reason why the party acts like this is because it elects people who espouse their beliefs. You do understand that part of those people that voted for Dr. Ars, who I don't even like Mehmet. I can't even call him Dr. Ars. He's a fucking fraud. All right. He's a joke. It would be no different than if Donald Trump endorsed fucking Goofy to be governor of Pennsylvania. The fact that people voted for him and basically many of them are women. These are the same people that you're just referring that as a white male, I should be able to slap her in the ass like what took place in the 50s and 60s. They toots. Right. And give her give her, you know, a patch in the tuchus over there. Right. Or tell her how pretty she looks and, you know, and have the relationship with your secretary. Those days, those days are over. Me too. put an end to that bullshit. And look at how many really successful people got pulled down for doing shit like this. It's just not right. There shouldn't be that sexual tension in the workplace. Workplace is supposed to be for work, not for you getting off onto it. And so these same people are voting for people like Mehmet Oz. I just don't get it. I mean, if I was a female in Pennsylvania, and this is the theory that we want this guy to be in power, I'm just concerned that they're also fucking delusional and that they suffer from this Trump derangement syndrome that they don't they can't distinguish from reality, you know, to, you know, to fantasy land. Well, I look, there's the other part, too, which is which is more of a longstanding political problem in this country, which is we've had two parties. We only really had two parties in this country for the last 160 years or so. Right. 170 years. Um I hear, uh, you know, I travel a lot. I've been to 10, 11 states since November. And what I hear from a lot of people like me is like, look, I don't like Donald Trump. I don't like the Republican Party, but I'm not voting for a Democrat because those people are crazier and you can't convince them otherwise. Um, And so what I think you see happen is, is that, um, you know, when left to their own devices, if they got to choose, they'll choose the Republican uh, because they see it as the least bad choice. Uh, which is also, I think, Michael, to your broader point, is another another potent symbol of our political dysfunction, which is people the P- a the people running aren't the best we have to offer, and b when the voters know that they choose the pe- person they think will be you know do the least amount of harm um, or you know disagrees with them less, and you know look you know you can make an argument that yeah there I mean there's nutty people um, you know there's a lot of progressive things that I vehemently disagree with. Um, but moderate re- Democrats don't typically push back against that, right? So it's very hard sometimes to get Republicans to come across the line because they're not for defund the police, right? They're not for some of this stuff that that gets espoused by the left, and it leaves us in a, in a it leaves us in a precarious position. Um, you know, somebody once said, uh, in this country, if if you put a, soci- a socialist up against a sociopath, you know, the sociopath will win six times and twice on Sunday because they're not going to steal your shit, right? That's like mm-hmm. often how it looks. No, the only thing that they're going to steal is your, you know, your right to decide about your reproductive rights. I mean, it's look, it's it's out of control. And the fact that there are any women out there that are voting, you know, Republican to me, you know, or 
part of this Trumpism. Again, it just, um, it confuses me. Let me leave it at that. So let's now jump and let's move away from Jeannie Thomas to her husband. And let's talk about Clarence Thomas. I mean, seriously, what the hell is going on there? He won't recuse himself even in cases where his wife is somehow involved. Like John Eastman was his clerk. He should surround himself, don't you think, with better people. But I don't think he'd ever resign. Do you think he should be impeached? I mean, because there's only been one Supreme Court justice impeached, and that's like 200 years ago. So there's obviously no precedence for impeachment. But there is a case for impeachment here, in my opinion. You agree? I mean, I think that you know there needs to be the evidence. I mean, look, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna impeach anybody, you should have the evidence because remember, impeachment is not a legal act; it's a political act. So you've got to you've got to make your case. I think it, each day it appears that you can make your case more. I think that you know the the issue for me with Justice Thomas is that you know it, like so many of these people, right? They consider themselves constitutional conservatives, but they're not; they're ideologues. Um, you know, they believe in their power and the power of their movement. Um, you tell me that Jenny Thomas is, you know, you know, emailing with John Eastman or Mark Meadows or, you know, legislators in in, in Arizona and he doesn't know what's going on. I mean, that's just that's just crazy. Um, should he recuse himself? I think he should. And I think Roberts needs to say, like, we have standards on this court and, um, you know, you need to go. Now, the other part, too, of this, Michael, though, is that there's also this very, you know, Inside the Beltway is a very, you know, unique and warped place, which is they, you know, they they don't want to take on anybody because what happens if, it, you know, they come for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, oh, do we really want to go after the guy's wife? Well, like, well, she's like a seditionist. Right. <laughs> like she was but not. No, she no, was, no, no, no. Not like a seditionist. She right. is part of that seditionist group. There's no right. I mean, there's 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 proof of it. There's documentary proof. You can't get away from it. Right. And so and why why will Clarence Thomas not resign? He will not resign because because, you know, whether or not it's his it's his wife, whether or not it's Samuel Alito, whether or not it's Amy Coney Barrett, whether probably not Kavanaugh. um, But they'll be like, no, we have a six three majority on this court. We're pushing through our worldview. Clarence, you're not going anywhere. Right. Because we have this is our time. This is our one time to, imp- you know, to put in place a worldview on this country that we know the American people don't want, would not vote for, would not elect us to put in place for them. And, you know, they, they have to do this stuff through extra, I'll call it super legislative means, because they know that they couldn't do it if it was left to the American people, which is why you see they gutted the Voting Rights Act which is why I just saw the other day, Michael, something you can appreciate. They might get rid of the Miranda warning, right, as a federal requirement. Like, that's yep. crazy town. Yeah. That's I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it is. It's not just, and it's not just Miranda. There are other things that they wanted. They, they literally want to get rid of so many of the protections, and they want to go back to strict interpretation of congressional legislation as opposed to as opposed to law. And this is a very dangerous Supreme Court. But, you know, there was a political article from about two, three months ago. It was written by a professor, um, a law professor at the University of Baltimore um, School of Law, a Kimberly Wheel. And I just want to read for you the very first paragraph that they that, you know, that they have in this political uh, this political article, simply because it is so relevant to this question and what we're to do and what 
what's really going on here. And it says revelations that Virginia Thomas exchanged at least 29 known text messages with former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, urging disruption of the November 2020 election results favoring President Joe Biden have created this conflict of interest scandal surrounding the Supreme Court, where her husband, Clarence Thomas, is an associate justice. Now, Justice Thomas's participation in multiple cases related to the outcome of the election, including, and this is the important part, including his lone vote to prevent the January 6th committee from accessing White House records relevant to its investigation of the riot at the Capitol, has led to calls for ethics reforms at the court. I mean, every statement that this law professor wrote is factually accurate. He was the lone right. vote. How could you allow the lone vote to prevent an investigation simply because your wife was part of it? I mean, I just don't, I don't get it. And I, again, there has to be consequences. Listen, we know if you run a red light and there's an officer there, you're getting a ticket. Consequence. Mm -hmm. You kill somebody, right? You go to prison. You pay a porn star $130,000, not to talk about pulling the president's mushroom pecker, right? And there's a prison censor. There are consequences, right. but not for any of these fucking people. Why? Why? Because, because he's a lifetime appointee. These lifetime appointees have to stop too. I don't under, there's no reason in the world that he should be a lifetime appointee. I don't believe any federal judge. I don't believe that there's a job that you should have that is for a lifetime, not the president, not members of Congress, not nobody should have a lifetime appointment. Why? For exactly this reason. He could do whatever he wants. And as soon as you say to him, you should resign. Fuck you. Right. right. We're going to impeach you. Fuck you twice. Right. That's what's happening here because they're above the law. And that's not right because justice is supposed to be blind. And it's not. No, it's not. And I think this is this is, again, you know, one of the one of the biggest issues, maybe the biggest issue that we have in this country from a democracy perspective is how few people believe that it matters. Right. Do I vote? I don't know. Does it matter? Nothing changes. You know, they're all a bunch of crooks and everything. So, like, they already believe it anyway. Right. Most Americans already believe the whole thing is, is crooked. And and more and more, Michael, unfortunately, they're right. Um, and so, you know, the, the cynicism that's 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 part of part and parcel of of what we're seeing and what we're going through today uh, is because of that. And then you're right, which is, again, in D.C., there is a there is an institutional protection society, which is, you know, um, are we really going to take him out? Because if he take it, takes him out, the, the chances that they're going to come for us go up. Hey, listen, they're coming for you. Right. Like they're coming for you. And maybe rather than thinking about it in the context of maybe they're going to come for me is maybe you should do your job the way you're supposed to do it. And then they won't come for you. Right hmm. now that's probably yeah. naive in our current environment, but you're absolutely right. Which is um, neither Mrs. Thomas nor justice Thomas should be absolved of their sins because they happen to live inside the 495 beltway. Right. Um, and, and the fact that like, and I'll say this, you know, a small amount of frustration with this whole thing. The fact that that goes back to whatever that was February, March article, Right. And it's just now when they see that there's communication between her and John Eastman that they want to talk to her, I think shows you in, in this institutional resistance to to this kind of stuff, because they're like, oh, the right's going to say we're attacking his wife. Like, well, you're not attacking his wife. You're calling her to account and by <laughs> extension him to account. 
And remember, as a Republican or an old apostate Republican, personal responsibility and the rule of law were like two of the big things that we believed in. Yeah, well, not anymore. So not anymore. Look, so I saw that you tweeted something about Barry Loudermilk the other day. And, you know, people are supposed to send him, what, children's artwork? What is that about exactly? And what do you think, right? Is he is he a straight-up insurrectionist as well, or just some useful stupid ass, right? Um, I mean, because we know at the very least that he's nothing but a liar, which and fits in perfectly well with the group of people that he's surrounded by. What was what was this tweet about? Um, well, I think that I mean we were it was a sort of a tongue-in-cheek thing, like um, you know, send us, send us, you know. The, the ridiculous things that kids come up with. But I think, look, you can be both a useful idiot and a seditionist, right? Those things can absolutely live together. I mean, Michael, when I was in high school, I was a page in the United States House of Representatives in the summer of 1993, right? Like pages give tours, right? Junior staff people give tours. Um, and, and when you give those tours, you go through the rotunda, you go through Statuary Hall, maybe you go to the old Senate chamber, you go to the crypt, Right. Maybe if you're if you're really lucky, you go to the top of, you know, the, the, the Capitol Dome and you can look out. If you're really well connected, you can go out to the speaker's balcony and look down the mall, you know, towards towards the Washington Monument. But like you don't take them to say, look at this random this random staircase. Right. You don't take them underground to show them like random hallways um, in adjacent buildings and adjacent facilities. And so do I think he was in on it? I mean, the, the video evidence appears to believe, to show that. Um, you know, you don't and you're like, oh, he was taking a picture of this, like, you know, wall sconce with an eagle and two candles in it. Like, no, you weren't. You're a bad liar. You're going to get you're in trouble for this. And they should throw him out. They should expel him. Majority vote in the U.S. House can expel him. They should do that. Uh, if, 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 you know, and, yeah. and, he, and look, he's going to lie. He's going to lie and he's going to lie and he's going to lie. And then, you know, at some point, the FBI is going to ask him, what the hell were you doing down there? And he's, they're going to identify all the people that were with him. Right. And they're going to say, what were you doing there? And maybe they can all lie. But as you know, sitting across the table from a federal agent is a pretty intimidating experience. And so my guess is, is that people are going to flip. And I don't think it'll be just louder milk. I think it'll be a whole bunch more of them. Yeah. And look, you said it perfectly before. The system, these wheels of justice, they turn so, so slow. You can't get anything out of government. You can't get anybody to act. Unless, of course, you're going after me, right? It's a 48-hour plea. Otherwise, they're going to file an indictment against my wife. Why not go after Loudermilk's family? Go after everybody. Do what you do. What you need to do. Not, I mean, you know, we need to protect our democracy. This fucking guy brought people in and he knew that they were mapping it out. And it's just it's just plain and simple. You, we have the evidence. What more do we need? Do we need to find a video somewhere of Donald Trump sitting and turning around and saying, I want to see these people kill Capitol Police officers. I want to see them ransack the Capitol. I want to see them grab a hold of Nancy Pelosi, kill her and hang Mike Pence. You're not going to find that, but you have a hundred thousand documents, text messages. You even have, I mean, I just don't understand why it has to go so slow when we're talking about, you know, we're talking about our democracy in peril. And if we don't actually do something, if the Democrats, like, I mean, Jamie Harrison, if we don't start getting the message out there and forcing, forcing Merrick Garland to start bringing some indictments, what's going to happen is the same bullshit that happened with Alvin Bragg. He just didn't have the balls to do it. So let yep. me ask you this then, because we need people with balls. And I see that the Lincoln Project 
has really gotten behind Beto O'Rourke in Texas. And it looks like his poll numbers are actually going up, which is good. Yep. And of course, that's again, if you trust poll numbers. But what do you think you know, his chances of unseating Abbott are? I mean, that's going to be, in my estimation, you know, it's going to be tough. Because I see Abbott really trying to cover his, you know, his ass in Uvalde. You know, where do you think that he'll be in November? And do you really, here's the big question. You think Texas is ready for a change? Well, let me say this. I went to high school and college in Texas. And so I've known Greg Abbott since he was a Supreme Court justice, like in 1996, Michael. This guy's been in public office since the last millennia, right? I mean, he just, he hasn't had, he hasn't had a private sector job in, you know, 30 freaking years, if he ever had one. Um, And so do I think Texas is ready for a change? It might be. Uh, do I think that there is an, a preponderance of evidence as to why um, Greg Abbott should not have a third term? I think there is. Um, but now it's up to Beto to make the case. I mean, what I would say to Beto's campaign, if they were listening, is get him to camera talking about, like, here are our problems, right? None of these problems are insurmountable, right? Whether or not it's the electric grid, whether or not it's guns in schools, whether or not it's education. None of these problems are insurmountable. They are problems because Greg Abbott for the last eight years has refused to deal with them and he's taken payoffs and everything else. Flip immediately to like, here's what Texas is and here's why we can and should do these things together, right? Because he has to start making the case from his perspective as a candidate, as a leader, his campaign needs to hammer the shit out of Greg Abbott for everything that's happened. Not even in the last eight years, in the last 18 months, (laughs) right? Um, and then, and then, because Abbott's got seventy million dollars on hand, and I'll tell you this: they're going to start dropping it on Beto's head any any minute now because they're scared, um, and they should be. I mean, the fact that it was a ten point swing in this latest in this latest survey to get to forty eight forty three that's not quite the margin of error, but it's a hell of a lot closer than anybody in the Greg Abbott camp thought it was going to be. So Beto, who came with this close to beating uh, Ted Cruz in twenty eighteen. They know what they got to do, but they got to do it. Like if they they sh- they got to spend money now, right? There will there will be plenty of money for Beto O'Rourke. Is Texas ready for a change? I think it is not even necessarily because it's going Democrat, but because Greg Abbott has been around for so long, and nobody gets out of bed. You know, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, "Oh, Michael, you know what? I need is more Greg Abbott in my life," right? Like nobody feels that way about this guy. Yeah. He's I, he's been just- around forever. Yeah, I just don't think it's really only about the money. You know, um, I mean, when we were working on, when I was working with, uh, you know, Trump and the whole campaign, there wasn't a lot of money that was spent. It's really more about social media. It's about getting your word out. And that's what I think Beto really needs to do. And the Democratic, you know, uh, committee, they really need to start to assist, you know, in st- in stuff like this by putting out these type of uh, anti-Abbott um scenarios on, I don't care if it's TikTok, Instagram, you know, Facebook, it makes no difference. You really should be using social media in order to get out that message. Because look, if 70 million is all that it is, then all you need is somebody like an Elon Musk, right? To go ahead and to do like what he's talking about with DeSantis, right? Mm. And basically to fund his entire campaign because he can. But then that brings me up to my next question, right? Because thinking of November and the elections, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, for example, the Democrats, assuming they lose the House or the Senate, it becomes a slippery slope to authoritarianism. I mean, do you think that Republicans even believe in democracy anymore? I mean, or are they just all in on the plot? Uh, I think a lot of them are, especially those running for office, are in on the plot. Um, I think you're right. I think the House is a very tough climb. Um, you know, I just think that 
just the nature of it. I think the Senate is very much in play. I think that Democrats um, are the beneficiaries of the fact that that Republicans have nominated Mehmet Oz, uh, Herschel Walker might uh, uh, might uh, might uh, nominate this goon uh, Greitens in Missouri, right? Who who you know both beat up his wife and locked his girlfriend in the basement. Like not a good guy. Um, is loathed by the military community, right? Um, so I, I think that there is an opportunity for, and apparently I heard this morning that North Carolina, the Democrats are starting to feel very good about where they weren't before. So I think that the Senate is very much in play, but where we're really worried uh, is in these governor's races in places like Arizona, Nevada, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, because to your point, um, Doug Mastriano, the gu- gu- gubernatorial nominee in Pennsylvania, right, was at the Capitol on January 6th, uh, has said like, I believe that 2020 was stolen from Donald Trump has said when I'm governor, you know, I'll appoint a secretary of state who makes sure that like people vote the way I think they should vote. Only the people, you know, there, there'll be voting machines where I think there should be voting machines. The guy that's uh, there's five Republicans running for governor in Michigan. One of them just got arrested and indicted by the FBI for being at the Capitol on January 6th. He shot to the top of the race overnight. And so, yeah, that's where we worry, because if you take if you take these places where they either have Democratic governors, um, anti, you know, anti-democracy, you know, candidates running, if those people lose and they've got a Republican legislature, just like Judge Lettig said, like they'll steal the election in 2024. And so these governors and these secretaries of state are the literal embodiments of the protection of democracy uh, between now and November and then between November 22 and November 24. So that's that's what we're most worried about, because. Uh, and here's the other thing, too, Michael, you've seen these folks up close. They will not moderate their position based on what they've seen in these hearings. These candidates want they will double and triple down because they know that the ultra MAGA people. Right. And the and the Trump people will not tolerate uh, weakness. Right. Will not tolerate less than anything that's 100 percent pure, because, as we know, too, these folks, a lot of them don't like anybody. So it's really easy for them to say, I'm not voting for a guy named Mehmet Oz. Right. And I'm not voting for a guy named Doug Mastriano because he said he was all in and now he's not. Well, I don't want a traitor. I'd rather have somebody that I don't like than somebody who's a traitor. Yeah. I also just want to want to remind you, I've said it on this program, I've said it on television a million times to the press. Donald Trump had a theory that he had heard, which really comes out of the Putin camp, which is it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the vote. And the more I see what's going on with people like this, you know, this uh, gubernatorial, you know, candidate, all it does is it just reminds me so much of sitting in Trump's office. And I shudder when I think about it, legitimately him making those that statement, that bold statement, which basically is exactly how Putin keeps getting 92 percent of the vote each and every time that he runs and why now Russia is not a democracy; it's an autocracy. But read, you know, as well, we well, actually, we, it was originally it was Joseph Stalin ninety nine years yeah, ago that said. Totally that. agree. <laughs> yes, right, right. Um, perfected, we'll say by by Vladimir. So, right. look, as we're winding down the hour, I have just one last question for you, kind of like a summation type question. By twenty twenty four, who knows where Trump will be? Then will he be indicted? Will be on home confinement? Will he be, you know? Living, dead, who knows? Living in a high-rise in Riyadh. Right. Who knows, right? Who else would they run? I mean, DeSantis, um, would it be, um, you know, would it be Josh Hawley? Will it be, you know, any one of these other, you know, uh, Republicans that have tried to identify themselves out as being a Trumper? 
Trump, Donald yeah, Trump 2.0. Because then you have Joe Biden. Now, I happen to like him, and I think he's working hard, and I'm just not sure that he can actually do the job and run for re-election. I mean, for God's sakes, he'll be 80 at the time. So my real question is, should he even be running? Don't you think that maybe there's somebody in their 40s or 50s or 60s that really should be, you know, why does everybody have to be an octogenarian, uh, you know, at this point? I mean, there are some really qualified people. And what do you think? What's the best possible scenario for the presidential race, right? New blood or old guard? That, that is a great question. Um, let me say this. Let me start with the Republicans. Yeah, if Trump, if even if Trump runs, right, um, I think somebody might still primary him um, because why not take the shot? Um, Pence, Pence probably, right? I think DeSantis, I think DeSantis's biggest, biggest mistake in his head and his people's head is they think that they could beat Trump straight up. I'm not sure they can, but they've already convinced themselves of that. But yeah, you'll have Holly, Cruz, Tom Cotton, you know, uh, Nikki Haley, a bunch of these other people. And there'll Chris be a whole Christie. bunch of people, Chris Christie, you know, a whole bunch of other people we don't even know yet. Right. I mean, think about this. Barack Obama ran for president after he'd been in the Senate for two years. Let's say J.D. Vance in Ohio gets. Yep elected. You could make the argument, J.D. Vance looks at Ted Cruz. I'm like, I'm not waiting for you, pal. Right. Um, and I think that that will be a bloodbath. I think also, um, you know, Trump is is a no, Trump, Obama are notable exceptions to this, you know, relatively speaking, little experience. Um, so they all think that they can run and win. Um, but, you know, none of them have been through the process. Um, and, and it is a crucible, unlike any other, you know, other than, you know, in, in politics anyway. Uh, it is a crucible unlike anything a human being is, is created. And so like all of them think that they can do this, but none of them have been through it yet. On the Democratic side of the outlook, I would say this is that, uh, you know, age notwithstanding, it's very difficult to tell a sitting president they can't run for reelection. Um, and, and so I, I think that with all of this stuff, it's far too, none of us know where we're going to be a year from now, right? Six months from now, none of us know where we're going to be. So uh, I think that it, 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 is too early to say. And I think that there are going to be people who, you know, let's say the president decides not to run again. Um, you know, I, I, uh, somebody told me the other day, there's only been one vice president in the last hundred years or something who's been denied their party's nomination when they run. So, you know, assume that vice president Harris wants to run. You could make an argument. It'd be tough to beat her in a primary. Um, because, by definition, the Democratic machine should be behind her, considering she sits in the White House. That doesn't mean other folks aren't going to do it, right? When when George H. W. Bush ran for president in 1988, it was a six or seven or eight person primary, you know, against him. He ultimately right. beat Bob Dole, um, but it was it was a tough slog, right? And so, um, but ultimately he won out. So I think it's too early to say. But on on the age thing, I think you're right, which is. Um, you know, when I travel, I hear a lot. Where's the new blood? Where are the new leaders? There's got to be somebody else out there. I think that that if you're a national party, having having, you know, people who are either in their late 70s or already well into their 80s is not a plan for the future. No. Well, Reed, let me thank you again for joining me today. Let me thank you for your insight, your your wisdom and um Keep doing what you're doing there at the Lincoln Project. Appreciate it. And um, hope to see you really, really soon. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. Be well, Reed. And now for today's mea culpa. 
I don't know about you, but I've been sort of fascinated by the role religion has played in the January 6th hearings and on the American political front in general. For good reason, Christianity has gotten a bad rap in recent years. Fake Christians do some pretty terrible things in the name of Jesus, and the Christian right took on Trump not because they really believe he's a godly man, but because he's just enough of an asshole to push their righteous agenda through. Look no further than the three Federalist Society Supreme Court justices that Trump signed, sealed, and delivered for the Christian right, and the House of Cards that's falling now in response to the rigged bench. But all that aside, Pence and his staff prayed together before the January 6th, according to his staff. However, Mike's Christian ethics somehow never got in the way of defending Trump's 30,000 lies and countless immoral acts. And Mike's faith never led him to the border, where he might have kept children from being separated from their parents. But you can't let Jesus get in the way of bad policy, or you'd never get anything done. And wouldn't you know it, Mike Pompeo defended the Supreme Court's recent ruling on Carson v. Macon in a tweet where I quote, The right of parents to educate their children at religious institutions cannot be discriminated against by the state. And blah, blah, blah. This is a big win for religious freedom. Someone might want to ask Pompeo why the party of small government wants to be involved so bigly in our kids' education. But Republicans have been dedicated to eroding public education for decades. You can see it in the faces of Donald Trump's loyal fans every day. I also hate the hypocrisy of those who defend the Supreme Court justices' rights to not be threatened or harassed, and then not defend the rights of good folks like Lady Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. Obviously, they're too busy defending a lie to give two shits about Lady Ruby. And even if Mike was such a wholesome Christian, they wouldn't be going after Biden with such a vengeance. But the desire to be president apparently trumps brotherly love. Maybe we should dub Christians like the Mike Sinos, or Christians in name only. Justice Sotomayor issued a warning this week, saying that the court is undermining core First Amendment protections that prevent the government from imposing religious views on Americans, and that soon the separation of church and state will be nothing more than a slogan and not a right under the Constitution. I pray that day never comes, but I fear it already has. However, Rusty Bauer's faith in the Constitution as a divinely inspired document is what kept him from betraying his oath of office. So perhaps there are some good Christians after all. And God is a good thing. It's just religion that's fucked up. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. 
So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. <laughs>